my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe it's a cash cock honey (laughs) I was just leaving the theater convertible 1969 gold Cadillac with the white interior and I drove it up here. And I started to do some thinking. Around in and on the freeway and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising that Cadillac on the freeway. Good feeling. I am eternal from Laurie Stanton. Her voice is absolutely right. I am petty, rebellious, and adolescent. And I will cut the shit. Henry! Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh, from your chief nurse, Major O'Houlihan. She makes some accusations, Henry. I, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude minds, man. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. 
Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the internet. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a... You know these people walking around here talking about the woman on the left of them all that kind of okay and on. I don't see why that woman has to leave her. Mine's ain't left me yet. But I don't know how soon. I keep that woman on my mind, just as fat and healthy as she can be. She will do. You know, because I raise hogs, chickens, and cows, and everything. And she better not act like she's hungry. Now it's a cow dead. And if she want a choke, I go out there and catch one of them chokes. And she have pork chops all the week. She will. And every time she get hungry, she get evil. You can't blame the girl, cause she's a country girl. Now my baby's a country girl. And she just can't help herself. Yes, my baby's a country girl. And she just can't help herself. And every time I tell her I'm gonna leave her, she said, Dad, I don't want nobody. I sat around at night and cried. 
I worked on a hotline for abusive men once. And the guys who worked on the hotline and the women who worked in the shelter became my heroes. And the guys who called up for help became my heroes too. My heroes are everyday people. Every once in a while, somebody famous does something that's hero-worthy, but it's mostly our everyday lives that contain the heroic acts. John called on the hotline today. He's my hero for the week. His hand was shaking as he dialed the number and raised the receiver to his mouth to speak. I need some help, he cried. I feel rotten inside I almost hit hell in my bride And it's our honeymoon tonight But others aren't like John They don't make it to the phone Every 15 seconds a woman gets beat up in America in her own home So Gracie takes the woman in to a shelter somewhere. Give her sister some support now and take away the despair. My heroes are you. My heroes are you. Not just famous, but everyday people in the big, big things that you do. Just want to let everybody know She ain't got much But she always got a couple of bucks For kids to go to the show Danny kicked cocaine He asked for some help And he got some care Look up Courageous In my dictionary there's A picture of Danny there Why Cindy dumped the booze she got some help from AA. Give me strength to see her do it now. She's my hero today. My heroes are you. My heroes are you. Not famous, but everyday people in the big, big things that you do. No movie stars aren't my heroes Unless they do something cool Like Liz Taylor when she give up drinking She said, I gotta go back to school There go Lizzie on back to school, yeah Most politicians talk a lot of crap I trust only one Barbara Lee Tells it like it is, true as the rising sun. Martin Luther King Sr. Watches they murdered his son. Lost his wife to violence and his daughter died, said, 
I don't hate no one. Whoa, ain't that a man? Mm, ain't that a man? Ain't that a real kicking man? I don't hate no one.
acompaña la bamba, la energía va para arriba, para arriba, arriba. Ay, arriba, y arriba, y arriba, yo no soy marinero. Yo no soy marinero, por ti seré, por ti seré, por ti seré. That was the Cafeteras, and I am Bill Morgan, a.k.a. The B, coming at you from Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street in San Francisco, and that was Las Cafeteras, a band from uh, Cal State Northridge originally, just a bunch of people who got together and decided to form a band. Some of them had musical experience and uh, some did not. Uh, that was from an, a concert they gave, an outdoor concert on October 31st, 2010. La Bamba Rebelde. And you hear them at the end. Arriba los muertos. Day of the Dead. Coming up on Monday and Tuesday. We'll find out a little more about the Day of the Dead after my intro. Before the Bamba Belde, we had Hungry, we had uh, Charlie Morgan, brother, the late brother Charlie Morgan, from his album, Chasmo Now. His song about heroes, about people who work on hotlines to provide support for people who have thoughts of beating people up or who have beat up women or kids, men who are in trouble that way. Charlie considers them heroes as they are. Um, for that, we had Hungry Country Girl, a song that has per per particular meaning for me, the great Otis Spann. 
Muddy, Muddy Waters band playing with an English group there, an English blues group called Fleetwood Mac, whom no doubt you've heard of, perhaps not as a blues band. Hungry Country Girl, especially for another late friend of mine, Earl Joseph Coleman. Please, if you are so inclined, look on my uh, website, the Bill Morgan website, saying goodbye to Earl of the Pearl. See if you can provide a little support for the expenses. You've already got one subscriber. And this is The Bee, and you're, you're tuned to um, Mutiny Radio. The name of my show is Labor and Love Radio, a Labor and Love podcast, where we bring you labor news, history, opinion, and music of social significance. Let's... I had mentioned a little thing about Day of the Dead. Let's listen to this. Well, let's first of all, let's talk about who we are here on Labor and Love Radio. Number one saying here is that if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table where you work, that's the negotiating table. You're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Okay. Get on with Day of the Dead here. What is Day of the Dead? A lot of people equate it with Halloween, which is definitely not. Uh, this is not uh, a valid comparison. dead is regarded as a time where the dead can come alive again. The dead is nothing we have to be afraid of. It's just a part of life that we have to face. And in Mexican culture, that has become actually really important in the way we perceive life. The Day of the Dead is a festival, and in that sense, it's very much a celebration. And I suppose that is something that appeals to European uh, and North American people because that's not the way that we understand death. Uh, death is for us um, a sad moment. We do remember our dead, but we remember them in times of solemnity. I can see how this kind of um, 
tradition get connection with other people. This uh, celebration is a demonstration of generosity with the richness of color and with the sound, with the air, with the paper that moves, talk between uh, all the family, not with sadness, not uh, like someone that we lost, but like someone who is, who is still with us. It's a multi-century experience, um, I think, both for the people who make the altar and for the dead that visit. People go on journeys with the offerings and take them to the burial places. And they're sort of exploring this idea of the boundary between the living and the dead. It's a liminal place, and liminal places often need catalysts to bring things closer together. They eat together and, of course, listen to music and remember fondly um, their dead. What is interesting in this celebration is, is not that the dead is coming to eat or is coming to drink on the night because we cannot see them. The grandmother says that uh, they take the, the, the spirit of things and they take the love of us. It's really impressive how the atmosphere becomes really, really nice. The smell of all the flowers that have been turned apart to create that atmosphere actually makes you feel that you are going through something else beyond life. It's conveyed by the flowers and it's really weird because it's the same smell but it can, it can tell you so many different things. Day of the Dead, as well, is something to show us how the colonizations and the changes in, in the history of a country may include the new things, but preserving tradition. What we're really talking about is um, what you see in a lot of cultures, which is material culture or images and ideas being transferred through time, obviously evolving um, as they come into contact with other cultures. So Mexican culture is very much a mix of uh, the different pre-Hispanic Mesoamerican cultures that existed before the Spanish conquest and all of the influence that came from Europe, which wasn't just from Spain. I appreciate the sense of celebration. To be able to celebrate even the death people continue alive on the memories of others. And I think memory, memories and is, is really important in a world where it's so easy to forget. So yeah, there you are. Um sort of an overview of the Day of the Dead from the point of view of uh, Western cultures, but featuring people from Mexico who actually celebrate Day of the Dead. And there are a lot of people here in San Francisco, here in La Misión, in Mero Mero, who celebrate Day of the Dead. If you walk down 24th Street today or tomorrow or days coming up, 
The whole place is festooned with overhead strings of what's called papel picado, Mexican art form, an indigenous art form, uh, using sharp knives to cut through tissue paper and make decorations. I'm going to check it out. <clears throat> but the key element in Day of the Dead is that our ancestors are here with us. They come, they come and spend time here with us. It's their time to come back alive in our memories. Now, some people equate Day of the Dead with Halloween, but that's really not valid at all. Um, Halloween, first of all, has been so commercialized that hardly anyone knows anything about it except that, you know, you scare people. Well, the uh, Christian belief is that on All Hallows' Eve, the spirits that are in uh, that are in um, heaven, hell, but especially the ones who are in the mid-range, okay, the middle, are given a chance to come back to earth. And that's why we're supposed to be scared of them. Those in purgatory come back and get a chance to ask Jesus to release them. Hardly anyone knows anything that all it's about is candy and scaring people and telling scary stories which is fine has not anything to do with day of the dead a whole different idea anyway this is the being you're listening to labor and love radio so how about a little of the labor okay we've got radio labor our weekly labor news from all around the world. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, October 29th, 2021. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, what labor wants from the COP26 UN Climate Change Conference... A manifesto in support of a care society. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. Union, Grandpa, Union, Grandpa. So tell me, what did you do? What you do? Union, Grandpa, Union, Grandpa. So tell me, what did you do? This is Radio Labor. It's really urgent to get good jobs and clean energy and to do it now. That is Samantha Smith, the director of the Just Transition Center. The center was established in 2016 by the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the organization which represents national union centers such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. It established the Just Transition Center to bring together workers and their unions, businesses and governments, communities and civil society organizations to ensure that labor is represented as the world attempts to transition to a low-carbon world. 
I talked to Ms. Smith just before a major UN climate change conference was about to start. COP26 will be held in Glasgow October 31st to November 12th, 2021. I asked Ms. Smith to describe Labour's goals for the conference. Our goals for the climate negotiations are, first and foremost, that we want much more urgent climate action from governments, along with financing to back it up. And in particular, we want all countries to commit to just transition, which means that we want them not only to say how much they're going to reduce climate emissions, but also to do that with plans for workers and for decent jobs. What is a just transition? A just transition is an idea that comes from our our movement, the labor movement. So it comes out of North American unions and some of their partners a couple of decades ago. And it's basically the idea that when you're trying to address a big problem like climate change, that you can do it in two ways. You can do it in a top-down, unjust way that makes people lose their jobs, or you can do it in a process with workers and our unions, with employers, sometimes with governments, where you basically negotiate what's going to happen to people's jobs at a workplace level, at a company level, at a national level, and even at a sectoral level. And instead of looking at this just as an exercise to cut emissions, you look at it as an exercise to make sure that everybody has social protection in this time of big transition, that the content of jobs may change, but jobs aren't going to get worse. And they might even get better, and that new jobs that are going to be created aren't going to be a bunch of sort of union-busting new entrants, but actually that the new jobs are going to be good jobs. What can unions and their members do to support a just transition? We are already doing it. So I I have to say that uh, over the last five years, which is about how long ITUC has had a just transition center, Um, I personally have gotten to see so many of the national federations and unions at all different levels getting active on this issue. And what what unions are doing is, one, they're um, pushing governments to deliver what I mentioned at the climate negotiations, so to deliver a process with unions at the table that's going to produce decent jobs and social protection while it brings down emissions. Um, So that's a sort of big national policy level. At the sector level, for example, we're seeing the industrial unions in Europe having a massive campaign across Europe for a just transition for workers. They're campaigning through collective bargaining and also through national and European level policy work to get good jobs for workers. In South Africa, the unions collectively bargained for a national commission on just transition and climate change, and they're now negotiating at the national level a framework agreement on just transition. Um, Yeah, I can go on and on, but there's really a lot happening, and in a lot of countries, including countries like Brazil, where our comrades at CUT Brazil have successfully negotiated with their affiliates a just transition process at the state level involving employers and government and the energy sector. You were one of the labor movement's leaders on the issue of climate change. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the results of COP26, the UN Climate Change Conference? 
Well, first of all, I wouldn't say I'm a leader. I would say I'm a busy and enthusiastic supporter of worker leaders and our elected leaders. But in terms of, you know, am I optimistic or pessimistic? I would say I am pessimistic because we already know from analysis of what governments have put forward, what they're likely to put forward, that it's nowhere near enough to get where we need to be on addressing climate change. On the other hand, there have been a couple of developments that are pretty good. So, for example, there's a big push on just transition from some governments. We even see some employers kind of crutchingly understanding that this is a process they need to engage in with organized labor. Um, and we see even countries like the United States with the big you know, legislation that's pending in Congress right now and the budget, that there's a new approach from some governments where they're really listening to labor and they're really thinking about and trying to get action on climate that's going to create good jobs for people. So this COP, you know, might be kind of a mess. But the bigger picture is that we're making progress on some of our issues and we're just going to need to keep going. So the struggle continues. I think on all issues, including this one. But uh, the thing that is concerning, of course, is that as we try to recover from COVID-19 and we're not done with the pandemic, what we're seeing is that on the one hand, lots of our members are getting back to work in the energy sector, and we always should be happy about that. On the other hand, companies and governments haven't invested near enough in getting us to clean and affordable and secure energy systems. And so we're seeing both an energy crisis and also emissions going up. Really urgent to get good jobs and clean energy and to do it now. October 29th is International Care Day, a day set aside to remind people of the importance of care workers and the services they provide. A group of organizations, including Public Services International, has released a manifesto with a five-step program on how to create a care society. I talked to PSI General Secretary Rosa Pavanelli about the manifesto and asked her about the section entitled Recognize. Recognize because we realize that the care activities are one of the fundamental bias in our societies that are responsible for the gender inequality we suffer everywhere in the world. And so recognize for us means two fundamental aspects. The first is the recognition of the social and economic value of care both paid and unpaid, meaning that we need to recognize also the economic value of the unpaid work that women do at home, carrying their family, carrying their relatives, and carrying the burden of this fundamental part of our social life. And the second is... uh, Uh, that we need to recognize care not only as an economic factor and instead recognize care as a fundamental human right for all. It was like this in the past in many countries, particularly in the developed countries, but since the privatization of care services, the human right aspect went lost. We need to recuperate that 
You can find more information about the manifesto and the group which launched it on the PSI website at publicservices.international. Here with his report about union events is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top stories section included links to coverage of the International Domestic Workers Federation's statement on the Global Day of Action for Care. This year, that event is getting more than the usual amount of attention as unions around the world push hard to improve the level of care provided to us all. In their own ways, many governments and most employers of care workers are also marking the day but most are doing so in a way that stresses budget deficits and the need for care workers to make even greater sacrifices as the world starts to exit the COVID crisis. And, of course, we also had coverage of the labor movement's preparations for COP26, its reaction to the coup in Sudan and solidarity with the unions leading the resistance there, and on how rogue employers in Norway exploit migrant workers. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found dozens of stories about the strike against sexual harassment by McDonald's workers in the USA, how unions are working to prevent online harassment of journalists in Pakistan, and a care workers strike in New Zealand that is rooted in the gendered nature of care work everywhere. A small sample of the stories appearing on our Health and Safety page and Newswire this week included the deaths of paper mill workers in Canada, the huge and disproportionate toll that COVID-19 had on meatpacking plant workers in the United States, and new safety concerns for Indian cement factory workers. Our latest photo of the week is of workers in Ukraine who were participating in large demonstrations organized by trade unions in opposition to the latest round of so-called reforms to that country's labor laws. Labor Start hosts online solidarity actions at the requests of unions around the world. This week, we'd like to highlight an urgent appeal for online solidarity with members of the Jordanian Teachers Union, who are at the receiving end of a concerted attempt to break them and their union. Education International, the global union federation for education workers, is doing all it can to mobilize support for its affiliate. In just a few seconds, you can do your part by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Australia's Victorian Trade Union Choir with You New, Grandpa, You New. Blue and blue and blue. 
international labor news you can use. You can listen to our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. I'm Mark Belange. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. That's our labor, radio labor report. Finished off there by a song you knew, Grandpa, you knew. And right now I want to jump over to an October song. October October's almost done. Tomorrow is the end of October. Um, this was written probably in the 50s at some point by Jack Kerouac, a working man living in the south of Market area. And uh, he had this very nice tribute to Autumn with Steve Allen playing behind him. October in the Railroad Earth. There was a little alley in San Francisco back of the Southern Pacific Station at 3rd and Townsend in red brick of drowsy lazy afternoons with everybody at work and offices in the air you feel the impending rush of a commuter frenzy Soon they'll be charging en masse for market and handsome buildings on foot and in buses and all well-dressed through working man Frisco of walk-up truck drivers. And even the poor grime be marked third street of lost bums, even Negroes so hopeless, long left east, the meanings of responsibility and try. But now all they do is stand there spitting in the broken glass, sometimes 50 in one afternoon against one wall at 3rd and Howard. Here's all these Milbray and San Carlos neat necktied producers and commuters of America, steel civilization, rushing by with San Francisco chronicles and green call bulletins, not even enough time to be disdainful. They've got to catch 130, 132, 134, 136, all the way up to 146 till the time of evening supper in homes of the railroad earth, when high in the sky the magic stars ride above the following hot shot freight train. It's all in California. All a sea. I swim out of it in afternoons of sun hot meditation in my jeans with head on handkerchief or on brakeman's lantern or, if not working, on book. I look up at blue sky of perfect lost purity and feel the warp of wood of old America beneath me. And I have insane conversations with Negroes in second story windows above, and everything is pouring in. Switching moves of boxcars in that little alley, which is so much like the alleys of Lowell, and I hear far off in the sense of coming night that engine calling our mountain. But it was that beautiful cut of clouds 
could always see above the little SP alley, puffs floating by from Oakland, or the gate of Marin to the north, or San Jose south. The clarity of Cal break your heart. It was the fantastic drowse and drum hum of Lum mum afternoon, nothing to do. Old Frisco with end of land sadness. The people, the alley full of trucks and cars of businesses nearabouts. Nobody knew or far from cared who I was all my life, 3,500 miles from birth all opened up and at last belonged to me in great America. Now it's night. Third Street. The keen little neons and also yellow bulb lights of impossible to believe flops. Dark ruined shadows moving back of torn yellow shades like a degenerate China with no money. The cats in Annie's alley. Flop comes on, moans, bowls. Street is loaded with darkness. Blue sky above with stars hanging high over old hotel roofs and blowers of hotels mooning out dusts of interior. The grime inside the word in mouths is falling out tooth by tooth. The reading rooms tick-tock big clock with creak chair and slant boards and old faces looking up over rimless spectacles bought in some West Virginia or Florida or Liverpool, England pawn shop long before I was born. And across rains, they've come to the end of the land sadness, end of the world gladness. All your San Francisco will have to fall eventually and burn again. But I'm walking. One night, Bum fell into the hole of a construction job where they're tearing a sewer by day. The husky Pacific and electric youths in torn jeans work there. Often I think of going up to some of them, like, say, blonde ones with wild hair and torn shirts, and they say, you ought to apply for the railroad. It's much easier work. You don't stand around the street all day and you get much more pay. This bum fell in the hole. You saw his foot stick out. British MG, also driven by some eccentric, once backed into that hole. As I came home from a long Saturday afternoon local, the Hollister, out of San Jose, miles away across virtuous fields of prune and juice joy, here's this British MG back and legs up, wheels up into a pit and bums and cops standing right outside the coffee shop. It was the way they fenced it, but he never had the nerve to do it due to the fact that he had no money and nowhere to go and oh, his father was dead and oh, his mother was dead and oh, his sister was dead and oh, his whereabout was dead, was dead. But and then at that time also, I used to lay in my room on long Saturday afternoons listening to Jumpin' George with my fifth toquet, no tea. Just under the sheets, laugh to hear the crazy music. Mama, who treats your daughter mean? Mama, Papa, don't you come in here, I'll kill you, etc. Getting high by myself in room glooms, and all wondrous knowing about the Negro, the essential American, out there, always finding his solace, his meaning in the Fellaheen street, not an abstract morality. And even when he has a church, you see the pastor out front bowing to the ladies on the make. You hear his great vibrant voice on the Sunday afternoon sidewalk full of sexual vibratos, saying, why, yes, ma'am, but the gospel do say that man was born of woman's womb. <laughs> no, and so, by that time, I come calling out of my warm sack and hit the street. When I see the railroad ain't gonna call me till 5 a.m. Sunday morning, probably, for a local out of Bay Shore. In fact, always for a local out of Bay Shore. And I go to the whale bar of all the wild bars in the world, the one and only Third and Howard. There I go in and drink with the madmen, and if I get drunk, I get. 
girl who come up to me in there one night, I was there with Al Buckle, said to me, you want to play with me tonight, Jim? And I didn't think I, I didn't think I had enough money. And I told this to Charlie Lowe, and he laughed and said, how do you know she wanted money? Always take the chance that she might be out just for love, or just out for love. You know what I mean. Don't be a sucker. She was a good-looking doll. And she said, how would you like to ooh your cool with me, Mon? And I stood there like a jerk. In fact, bought drink, got drink drunk that night in the 299 Club. I was hit by the proprietor, the band breaking up the fight. Before I had a chance to decide to hit him back, which I didn't want to do anyway. Not on the street. I tried to rush back in, but they had locked the door and were looking at me through the forbidden glass in the door with faces like undersea. I should have played with her shoo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-
Ode to Autumn by John Keats, one of the great English romantic poets of the 19th century. Um, Keats, you might have seen him, would be called Bright Star about the life of John Keats. Um, before that, Jack Kerouac with his Ode to Autumn called October and the Railroad Earth. Kind of the exact opposite of Keats' rural-based song. Jack is talking about working for the railroad and living in a little room in the south of Market in the 1950s, backed up there by uh, Steve Allen. And before that, we had You Knew, Grandpa, we, You Knew, and What Did You Do? Okay, we're going to come back a little bit after our break and talk about one of the heroes of the anti-colonial struggle, in this case, the Hawaiian anti-colonial struggle. The Trask sisters, another person that we lost just recently. And we're going to shift gears and talk about education. What's happening in China? A new policy? Talking about giving kids more time to be alone and do their own business? Got a strike in Jordan? Because uh, the union leaders there were fired. And we've got some education voice by a man named Chris Emden. But anyway, that's all after. Thank you. 
Rage Against the Machine. Come on, Tommy. Also makes great acoustic records in the, the Night Watchman. There's no going back. Highway patrol choppers coming off over ridge. Hot soup on a campfire under the bridge. Shelter line stretching around the corner. Welcome to the new world order. Family sleeping in their cars in the southwest. No home, no job, no peace, no rest. Well, I was alive at night. But nobody's kidding nobody about where it goes. I'm sitting down here in the campfire light. Searching for the ghost to talk. Pulls the prayer book out of his sleeping bag. Preacher lights up a button, takes a drag. Waiting for when the last shall be first and the first shall be last. In a cardboard box deep the underpass You got a one-way ticket to the promised land You got a hole in your belly and a gun in your hand Sleeping on a pillow, solid rock Bathing in the city's aqueduct
That was uh, <clears throat> Bruce Springsteen and Tom Morello with the ghost of Tom Joad. Looking for the ghost of Tom Joad. There's a much longer instrumental version. <clears throat> if you want to look that one up on YouTube. Uh, before that was a song I dedicate to my friend Earl who died uh, earlier this month. I Just Want to Be High With You, a beautiful song by Brittany Howard. Um, can't say much about Earl. I, wanna, I wrote a little tribute to him. See if we can get a look at it. He, well, I met Earl about 50 years ago on, uh, we were working at a school, a school called Raphael Wheel, which is now Rosa Parks. And uh, he's a big bear of a guy, you know, he loved the kids, the kids loved him. Uh, <clears throat> his whole life was dogged by Poverty, I remember, uh, but also great generosity. He was a worked as a paraprofessional and a custodian in the San Francisco public schools. Uh, acts of kindness. I can remember one time he got an extra check for some mistake. He was issued an extra check. Money he could have used, you know, to do something. Instead, he gave it to me. Here I am, wishing I could get a video recorder. A video recorder. And he gave me the check so I could buy the video recorder. Can you imagine? He wasn't uh, a believer. Some people might call him cynical, but he was always very careful. And he's the friend who sort of grabs at your coat and says, no, no, don't believe in this. Don't believe in that. It's bullshit, and this is why. And most of the time, he was right. It was bullshit. So please look up on my Facebook page, Bill Morgan's Facebook page, and I'll put it on the Labor and Love page as well read the tribute and maybe kick in a few bucks to pay for some funeral expenses we've already had one subscriber which i really appreciate so that britney howard song was one that he he told me i should play on the show and i always maybe i overplay it huh? <laughs> let's turn to education now because the work of people in education, teachers, kind of taken for granted all the time. You know, in, in the everyday world, we don't realize how hard teachers work, how much they care, all the things they do to enhance their students' lives and futures. There's a man named Christopher Emden, and I heard him on uh, 
Hard Rock, Hard Knock Radio one day, and this is what he says. He's a kind of a hip hop education writer. Teach like the world is on fire. Teach anti-racism. Teach against anti-Semitism. Teach anti-patriarchy. Teach trauma. Teach healing. Teach love. Teach like the future of our society depends on it. Because it does. Dr. Christopher Emden. Um, something to remember if you're working in if you're working in education, if you're working with kids. Remember this, Christopher Emden. And we're talking about uh, reforms, education reforms in China. And uh, the headline here, this is on CNN World. Beijing education aim, reforms aim to help China's overworked, over-tested students. There's the famous story of a kid being late to school one day, trying to squeeze through the gate, and the gate is an electronic one that closes and kills the kid. I don't know if that's apocryphal, but... It's emblematic of the way that education is viewed in a lot of societies. Millions of school students have started their long summer break this month. But for some, the two-month break won't be much of a holiday. Many parents will be sending their children to summer tutoring classes to get ahead in China's heavily competitive exam-focused education system. Chinese government says it wants to change that. Chinese leading government body, the State Council, unveiled a new set of guidelines on July 8th calling for less focus on exams and more consideration of physical, cultural, and political education. Under the current exam-oriented education system, Chinese students are overloaded the schoolwork and lack sufficient physical exercise, which has given rise to health problems such as obesity and myopia. President Chai Jinping over the past year wants to reshape the country's education system. While some experts praise the intention of the bill, others felt that tests too deeply ingrained in the Chinese education system, parents' expectation, and even officials' promotions to be downgraded. A systematic problem, they say. Parents or the government have already given them a goal, which is a college entrance exam. That's about the only thing most students care about. 
The aides said that enormous pressure on students had reached unearthed healthy levels. More than half of our students might think that going to better university actually proves they are better people, which is a problem. Chinese government encourages schools to stop using other tests and rankings to determine which students to accept, taking the pressure off pupils. It also calls for parents to stop putting unhealthy pressure on their children to succeed at tests. Parents must avoid blindly engaging in insidious competition and limit overburdening their kids with too many extracurricular activities. New guidelines. Teachers are to focus on cultivating cognitive ability, promoting development in thinking, and stimulating the sense of innovation. Okay, this is something, again, we don't think about as, you know, people here try to get our schools to dig in more, have more tests, you know, everything competitive. You might not think that's happening in other societies, but in Japan there's a very strong anti-exam, anti Robotic education, there's a whole movement. Same here in, in China. Facebook. Beijing reinforms. At any rate, um, this is one you can look up on on the web. It's uh, about teachers in Jordan and how, uh, let's take a look. Teachers in Jordan are on strike because... Uh, leaders in Jordan. Let's look at it. Dissolution of Jordanian Teachers Union. Dismissal of teachers and obstruction of union work. Education International published this. Federation of 384 associations and unions in 178 countries representing 32.5 million employees. This is on an Act Now Labor Start campaign. Act Now. Labor Start together with the Education International calls on you to protest the dissolution of the Jordanian Teachers Association and the massive dismissals of teachers including 14 JTA leaders. Jordanian security forces again arrested and detained the leading members of the JTA in connection with World Teachers Day celebration. You can help 
Type in your name and email address, which I'm doing right now. William Morgan, that's me. U.S. UESF Local 61, United States of America. Send message. Okay, you can do that too. To support fellow teachers in Jordan. Act now. We wanted to celebrate a woman today. Very special woman who died this month. A woman named Alani K. Trask, champion of native rights in Hawaii, dies at 61. That was earlier this year. The cause was cancer, her partner David E. Stenard said in her best-known book, Notes from a Native Daughter, Colonialism and Sovereignty in Hawaii. Dr. Trask called Hawaii once the most fragile and precious sacred places, now transformed by the American behemoth into a dying land. Only a whispering spirit remains, she wrote. Dr. Trask was not afraid to make waves as a leader of what became known as the Hawaiian Sovereignty Movement. He received national attention for remarks directed at an undergraduate student at the University of Hawaii, where she was a professor of Hawaiian studies. A student in a letter of the school newspaper accused native Hawaiians of holding racist attitudes toward white people on the island. Dr. Trask responded that the student does not understand racism at all and should leave Hawaii, which he did, returning to his home state, Louisiana, for a time. When some students and faculty members criticized Dr. Trask's comment is unnecessarily harsh. She answered, I am a nationalist. I am asserting my change, my claim to my country. I'm not soft. I'm not sweet. And I do not want any more tourists in Hawaii. With her sister, Mililani B. Trask, Dr. Trask was a founding member of Kailahui Hawaii, an organization that promotes self-determination for Native Hawaiians. 
which held its first convention in 1987. She wrote, The secrets of the land die with the people of the land, and thus that preservation of indigenous lands should be paramount. 1993, she led a march of Native Hawaiians known as Kanaka Maoli, who were seeking to reclaim lands held in trust by the state. March took place on the centennial of the overthrow of its last queen, Little Yokalani. Kailahui demanded the ter territory be ceded to it after it had drawn up a constitution for Hawaiian self-government. Those were introduced in the state legislature, but they failed to pass. Dr. Trask took the podium in front of Honolulu's Yolani Palace and proclaimed, We are not American. We will die as Hawaiians. We will never be Americans. Continue. The Americans, my people, are our enemies. And you must understand that. They are our enemies. They took our land. They imprisoned our queen. They ban banned our language. And they forcibly made us a content colony of the United States. Dr. Trask's poetry employed imagery suggestive of a sentient island bleeding from the violence of colonialism. In one poem, Colonization, she wrote, Hawaiian at heart. Nothing said about loss, violence, death by the hundreds of thousands. She also railed against the tourist industry in her poetry as well as her academic work. She challenged its marketing of the Hawaiian Islands as an acquiescent paradise, a depiction that she felt ignored the history of violence against the land and its native inhabitants. Why is quarter white, 38% Asian, 10% native Hawaiian, and another quarter identifying with two or more races. Alani K. Trask was born October 3, 1949, in San Francisco to Bernard Kaukau Trask and Hawani Cooper Trask. Mother taught elementary school, and her father was a lawyer. She grew up in Oahu outside Honolulu along with her five siblings. In her speech at the 1993 march in Honolulu, Dr. Trask summed up much of what her life was about when she reminded her fellow protesters why she stood before them and what drove her on. I am so proud to be here. I am so proud to be angry. I am so proud to be Hawaiian. Dr. Haunani K. Trask.
I worked on a hotline for abusive men once. In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye The earth that fed me in California Was turning cracked and dry New Zealand ferns are always green It rains more there than it should I looked to the cloud that was raining on me And said, go, you can do some good Clouds stop crying and wasting time And fly across the sky Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well But the weather wasn't so fine Nobody had a garden Nothing lived but weeds the earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die People and the animals like to gather where water flows A beer, some tea, or a water hole It's there where something grows And remember the music water makes The rainy pool and the circle dance The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall The laughing creek that feeds the plants Now the fields are green again, beauty has returned. Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn. Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land. If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand. So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky. And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California.
Don't wanna see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't wanna see her die. Charlie Morgan with his uh, Kraut song. Like I say, we lost Charlie at the end of July. A big loss for me, my brother. Big loss for a lot of people. I want to talk about... I've got a uh, discussion, panel discussion. Why are so many workers striking them? Pretty much all your favorite snacks are canceled, Fiorentina. which is great because they're terrible for you anyway. Um, and that's okay. That's solidarity. But what? why are we seeing this striketober? What's happening around the country? Is And could this be the beginning of a resurgent movement? Striketober, well, which, which immediately follows anti-Foggist. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, well, what's what's the cute name for September, though? Uh, Barricade Ember. And then, and then, and then soon, soon, but the year ends with December break the trains of uh, chains of oppression. Yeah, I, right. I almost Sep said it right. September's of the ruling class. All right. Yeah. Okay. One can only hope. Um, well, you know, it's really hard to say. I mean, we saw what seemed to be a strike wave last year. It didn't turn out to be much. We look at statistics. You know, I would dearly love this to be the beginning of a you know period of labor militancy and an end to forty years of. Um, torpor on the part of uh, organized labor and maybe, you know, even unorganized labor. But we'll see. Who knows? It's a very, very strange period in the economy. Nothing makes any sense at this point. Uh, we still have a lot of people um, unemployed compared to what were before the pandemic hit. Yet you know, um, wages are rising. Employers complain they can't hire people. Uh, mm -hmm. There's shortages everywhere, particularly in some industries, uh, you know, the whole supply chain. We're always now hearing about the supply chain being broken. Everything is busted. At the same time, the amount of stimulus coming out of the government, fiscal stimulus, enormous. Uh, the amount of free money coming out of the Federal Reserve, which has gone mostly into the financial markets, has been enormous. So you've got you know, enormous fiscal and monetary stimulus. At the same time, there's still, I don't know, there's still like five or six million jobs short of where we would be to get back to the pre-pandemic level. Uh, and we're not, it's not clear what's up, whether employers are not hiring, whether workers are staying off the job. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going all at once, and none of it makes any sense. None does of the, the old fact, metrics make any sense. Does the fact that we let 750,000 people die uh, through mismanagement mm -hmm. of the pandemic have anything to do with the possibility of a national labor shortage? Uh, probably not. But, um, you know, that is a very grim statistic and uh, can, can make me cry if I think about it too much. But, no, I don't really think it's, you know, that's not a mega economic significance, but it is really just a grotesque human tragedy. Well, uh, I mean, and, and I think that in early on when, you know, you had Larry Kudlow, you know, praising how well the stock market was doing in early days of the pandemic uh, while. It's even doing better now. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's tens great, of thousands. You know? Yeah, and so we, What's we have... What's 700,000 dead next to a record high uh, in the Dow, you know? Absolutely. It's a, and it's so a small it price that to pay. Crass, right, and it's that crass reality of capitalism that actually we are so expendable to this machine and, and to the economy, the, the, a very narrow-minded understanding of what the economy is. But, but when you talk about the, the stimulus, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, if you were to grade the United States 
you know, how have we done when it comes to actually supporting people through this time? I know unemployment benefits recently ran out. Um, we know that PPP loans went to like, I mean, goddamn, Dar Jared Kushner got some. Like, but but all in all, I mean, especially folks in like the comedy industry who are like, oh yeah, no, I would have done, people who were like, oh, my other job was waiting tables, which didn't exist for six months. You know, they've been, it's been meant life and death you know, poverty, no poverty, food on the table, no food on the table to have these stimulus checks and, and this unemployment. Um, so what, yeah, I guess how, how would you grade us and then where, are we, what can we, do we still need it? Well, of course it was well short of perfection, but my God, it was really surprisingly um, civilized, surprisingly generous. Uh, uh, the amount of aid supplied by the government uh, in various ways. Uh... Okay, we're gonna have to bust into this discussion. Um... We'll get to it next week. Doug Henwood from PBS and Nato Green and Francesca Fiorentini talking about why the strikes now and what's going to happen with the economy. God knows. <laughs> this is the B, and it's about time for me to get out of here and leave the mic to Flat Black plastic mystery scott o walker coming in today with his sarape very nice i think it's african though he has got a big drum oh yeah okay the motif is african right but it's it can pass as a costume for halloween all you need is a mask i have a mask in my Okay, remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never, let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. In New Zealand, I read a magazine. This is Labor and Love signing off. Another week wishing you a good life and good work. Remember, of course, they don't want you to have a union. Your labor makes them rich. Listen a little to Charlie, Brother Charlie Morgan. But it's California drops. Spread a lot of rain on California. Don't want to see her die Met a guy from San Francisco In a railway ticket line He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well But the weather wasn't so fine Nobody had a garden Nothing lived but weeds The earth looked like some kind of feverish person Who'd caught a strange disease he said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky.
Radio FM. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. It's coming soon, the sixth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Six venues, 24 shows, seven days. 75 comics from all over the United States at amazing local venues. Asiento, Atlas Cafe, El Rio, Milk Bar, OMG, and The Bar on Dolores. Special headliner shows at El Rio, Thursday night, 7 and 9 o'clock, featuring Scott Capuro. Headliner, amazing comedian, also Andy Iwancio out of Seattle here for the 6th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. All tickets are $10, except the headlining show, which are 20 You can find all of the shows on Mutiny Radio's Eventbrite. Reserve them now. And don't miss out. 2021, the 6th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Black Block, a novel about protest from Sanjuro, a sample. The walk from Union Square to the bar is a long way for a drink, so you want a few stopovers. You get warmed up at Lefty O'Doul's, an old-time tavern with memorabilia and a menu from another century. Then a Market Street dive to rub elbows with the hoi polloi. Next is a Folsom Leather Bar. The dark goth soundtrack is a refreshing change from the usual jukebox anthems, but you must avert your eyes lest you observe gentlefolk in flagrante. That means fucking. Tonight, none of these places are open unless looters are broken in. The city is shut down because of the riots. Thank you. Find me at sanjurorider.com and Black Block is on Amazon.
District of the Mission. MutinyRadio.fm. MutinyRadio.fm. Listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Look, why not go to MutinyRadio.fm? Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! San Francisco Mutiny Radio, San Francisco Mutiny Radio, San Francisco Mutiny Radio, San Francisco Mutiny Radio, San Francisco Mutiny You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! $4.99. L.S.D. Fap. Acid and fapping, fapping and acid. Acid fapping, fapping and acid. Fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well don't even worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post show and giggle in the comfort of anyone. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you gotta do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs>
Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Mahoy Hoy on the slopes of Kilauea. <laughs> 